Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Hogbeat Hour brought to you by Hogbeat.com, the Arkansas site and the Rivals Network. I'm Nikki Chavanel here with Andrew Hutchinson. We are coming off what was a pretty bad loss for the Razorbacks last night. Not fully told in the final score of 92-76 over in Baton Rouge, Louisiana against the LSU Tigers. But it was just an ugly game to watch. Um, I found myself like wanting to zone out because it was just so ugly for so much of the game that um, you could tell <laughs> nothing they were going to do was going to get them out of the hole. So it was really tough to watch all the way to the end. And I am impressed with the, the many, many folks who were able to do that. Um, kind of break down how the game started because it, you know, it started fine. Arkansas was four, four, nothing lead. And then LSU just started taking it to them. Yeah. I mean, Arkansas scored the first four points of the game. Uh, Connor Vanover, who had been kind of, I think he was like two of 16 from three point range to the previous five games. He knocked down a three that gave Arkansas seven to four lead. And then from there, it was just an absolute disaster. Uh, LSU went on a 40 to six run. That is four zero, 40 to six run. And it was just ugly all around. I mean, Arkansas missed a bunch of shots. They turned the ball over. They had 11 turnovers in the first half. Um, many of those were in that 11 minute stretch where they just got absolutely blown out of the water. Um, you know, but you know, take out take out that eleven minutes, and, and our, it was a lot more evenly matched. But uh, it was it was not pretty, as you said. It was it was really hard to watch. And I mean, honestly, for a lot of the second half, I had it going in the background, and but I spent most of the second half both writing my story and also looking up stats for, you know, the worst loss since. And you know, it, for a while yeah. there, it looked like LSU was going to score a hundred points. I had it ready. It would have been the first time Arkansas gave up a hundred points to an unranked team in 25 years. Uh, however, LSU took their foot off the gas and, you know, wasted all my research. You know, yeah. I definitely don't doubt that they could have gotten there if they had continued playing the way that they were playing. It they were just so much more physical than Arkansas was. It was incredible to watch. I mean, I know when Musselman says they have four stars, like, yeah, you, you don't fully grasp that until you see it in action because there was just no stopping them. Yeah, and I mean, I'm just looking here at the, the final stats. I mean, the, the four guys that he was really concerned about lived up to uh, the billing. I mean, Cam Thomas, the SEC's leading scorer, he had 17, you know, below a season average, but he was playing, uh, you know, through the, the injury he had suffered in the previous game. Didn't seem to bother him too much. Uh, you know, Trendon Wofford, I mean, that, that guy tore Arkansas up last year in Baton Rouge and had another big game, 23 points. 10 rebounds, so a double-double. Uh, Darius Days had 18 and 13. I think he had a double-double similar to that in the game in Baton Rouge last year. And, of course, Javante Smart, who feels like he's been there for eight years, uh, had another 13 points. So, I mean, it was just, you know, those those four guys, they, they weren't able to take away any of them. I mean, all four of them uh, were pretty much enough to, to beat Arkansas last night. Yeah, I mean, during the game, they had um... – breakdowns of some of these players like I know they did Cam Thomas for sure and it's just incredible when you know exactly what the guys can do but you can't stop it because they're just so good at it um so really tough for 
for the Razorbacks. Um, talk about some of the stat lines that, you know, really were ugly for the Hogs. <laughs> yeah, so the the two that got mentioned by, by Musselman in the postgame press conference, you know, he mentioned anytime you have a guy that two starters that go one for 11 and one for eight, it's, it's probably not going to go well. And those two guys were uh, Devontae Davis, Devo. Uh, he, he started again, did not go nearly as well as the previous game when he had 20 points against Georgia. He had four points on one of 11 shooting. Uh, just not very good. Uh, missed his only three-point attempt. And then Vance Jackson, who had been playing really well, had 14 and 15 points in his last two games to be kind of turning the corners, shooting like 60% or something from three-point range over those two games. He goes one for eight from the floor, including missing all four of his uh, three-point attempts. He did grab seven rebounds, so you got to give him some credit there, but uh, still not a anywhere close to what he needed to be. And uh, that was just really, uh, really not good. I, I did the math if – you take out those two guys, Arkansas's shooting percentage increases from 34% to like 42%. Mm-hmm. And uh, it it would have looked a little bit better and probably been a closer game if, if those guys had not either, one, shot so poorly, or two, you know, maybe passed the ball a little bit more and not taken as many shots, especially a guy like Devo. I mean, he's, he's not really in there for his scoring. And I think that was something that drove – uh, Musselman a little bit crazy because he's in there for defense he's in there for you know getting loose balls and, and distributing and, and things like that and he uh, took 11 shots and, and only made one of them so can't have that happen and expect to win a road game against a team like LSU yeah now you have this interesting stat I know that you posted it on Hogbeat earlier um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna let you bring that up but these freshmen they got to be wary of you know, having a really good game and then playing like outside of themselves, outside of their role. Like Devo Davis, I'm sure he was feeling so good after uh, that last Georgia game. And obviously that was a game where Arkansas was being able to do a lot of what they wanted to do without a ton of resistance. So that is a different scenario. And I don't think that I mean, I understand Devo trying to bring some energy where on a team last night that looked like they just didn't really want to be out there playing. So I can understand him trying to get things going. Uh, but, yeah, Musselman, I feel like he's going to have a hard time keeping these guys, like, in their role and, and doing what he wants them to do. And, like, just defensively, this team – is not where it needs to be. And so he really needs guys to be focused on that when it's their, their strength. Like they, like Devo can't be focused on trying to score when, you know, they're giving up so many buckets. You know, and I would like to see a cut up of all 11 of his shots. Cause I feel like I remember a few that weren't terrible shots. You know, they were decent shots around the rim and they just didn't fall. Uh, but I think you're going to get that with freshmen. They're very up and down, uh, you know, not everybody is a, a Moses Moody. I mean, <laughs> you, you, you don't get those very often. Uh, so you're going to experience the ups and downs of, of freshmen. We see it in football. We see it in baseball. Of course, we see it in basketball as well. So, uh, but you're right. I mean, the, the key is not playing outside of your game. You know, play within yourself. And I think that was one thing that, that Musselman really praised Jalen Williams for 
was playing within himself because he was a freshman. He played a, a lot of minutes last night, uh, trying to find yeah, twenty just under twenty eight minutes uh, of playing time. He only took three shots. He made two of them, uh, knocked down all three of his free throws. He grabbed five, uh, ten rebounds, including four on the offensive ends. Uh, had a couple of steals, blocked a shot, had an assist. He's still struggling with turnovers, uh, which needs to improve. But he kind of he didn't do too much. Uh, it seemed like, and and I think that was one reason Musselman praised him, and and same thing with Moses Moody, uh, kind of played within himself, and uh, both those guys were pretty much the only two of the nine that played that that Musselman was like, yo, they they played okay, they they played good. Um, Connor Vanover got the start. Um, you mentioned he did make that three at the beginning of the game, and I thought, oh, maybe you know he's gonna find a rhythm, but defensively. Um, just too big of a liability, I think. So, you know, not much playing time for him last night. But he does still get the start. So, you know, I, I, I'm not in the mind of a coach, so I'm not sure what they're trying to work out with him. But you got to hope that eventually they can figure out keeping him on the floor and just making him more effective. But – Alabama, who they're playing on Saturday, is another very fast team. They shoot a lot of threes. Um, I mean, I, I don't know their size matchup off the top of my head, but hopefully uh, we can see more of Jalen Williams and, and less Vanover against Alabama. Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, I mean, Vanover has started the last two games, but he played eight minutes last night and I think three minutes against Georgia. So he's he's starting. He has the, you know, the, the start next to his name. But Jalen Williams has played more than him and, and is playing the starter minutes. Uh, so I don't really get too carried away or, you know, fired up about, you know, him getting the start. That's really – I think – I think Musselman has mentioned it before. He said, you know, most you know, fans and media and stuff worry about that stuff more than coaches. It's more about minutes distribution uh, more than anything. So uh, I don't necessarily – I could see why they keep him in the starting lineup because you want to see does he match up against this team. And they probably have an idea going in. They probably have, That's why they have a quick hook. I mean, they had a super quick hook against Georgia. I mean, they got him out super quick in both the first and second half. Uh, it was a little bit of a more extended uh, against uh, LSU because he did play uh, eight minutes, but Arkansas was outscored by 13. He was minus 13 in his playing time. That's not very good. Uh, so I, I think he'll – he's a role player. I, I thought that before the season. Uh, I thought that even right up – you know, even after the first few games where he played so well in non-conference play, I worried about him matching up against teams – like a Georgia, who's big man, you know, six foot eight and capable of beating you off the dribble. Uh, LSU, who has a Watford at six foot nine and just stupid athletic. And I'm also worried Alabama is going to be similar to that. You know, maybe a game like, I don't know, Texas A&M or something like that, he'll be able to give you, you know, 20 minutes and, and play well. But uh, these matchup problems, it's, it's going to happen in the SEC because there's athletic dudes you know, across the board that are capable of exploiting his weaknesses. Yeah, it's it's obvious that the Razorbacks are missing Justin Smith and his inside presence, um, but there it sounds like we're still at least a week, if not, you know, 
four or five games away from seeing Justin Smith back out there. I think he mentioned he's doing some, you know, individual drill work, um, no contact stuff, not with the team yet. So um, still a bit away, but I think the biggest thing that they need to focus on um, is defense. And then I'm not as worried about the, the, the shot selection stuff that Muss was talking about because they did show that they could bounce back um, after the Missouri game from something similar, but it's obvious that um, the the in-game, it seems like the in-game adjustments aren't happening and the team just kind of gets lost at times. Um, and they need to have more of a, a leader on the floor who can can – I don't know, get the passes around that, that Musselman wants, stuff like that. But uh, there's just no leadership I, I, I can, like, really see presently on the floor when guys are making mistakes and stuff. There just doesn't seem to be that guy for me. Yeah, I mean, we're still just five games into the SEC schedule after an abbreviated non-conference slate that really was a bunch of cupcakes. Uh, so, and with a team that has, uh, to what, 10, 9, 11, 10 newcomers that haven't ever played for Arkansas before this season, uh, basically you only have Desi Sills coming back. You know, Ethan Henderson, he plays some, but not really a significant contributor. Everyone else is new. They've never played together. So they're still kind of working through the kinks. That's why I'm not quite ready to, to hit the panic button just yet. Uh, I mean, you mentioned how well they bounced back against Tennessee. Yeah, it was a loss, but that was on the road against a top 10 team, arguably the best team in the SEC, and you had a chance to win. You led most of the game, and you had a chance to win in the final minute. So uh, good bounce back. You need a similar one. It's not going to get any easier playing in the, you know, a lone undefeated team in SEC play, you know, at Alabama. That's going to be tough, but uh, again, not still too early, you know, five games in to, to hit the panic button just yet. I'm Nikki Chavanel here with Andrew Hutchinson, the Arkansas Sports Writer of the Year. Oh, my goodness. Haven't even talked about it yet. I can't believe it. Eric Musselman shouted you out, so I know a lot of people already know about it. It's powerful when it comes from the head hog, right? Hutch, tell the listeners, a lot of whom are Hogbeat subscribers, so they probably already saw your post, but tell people what it means to you. Well, just knowing that, that I'm the, the sports writer of the year in Arkansas, you know, means a lot just because this is my home, home state. I've lived here my entire life. I've, uh, you know, grew up watching the Razorbacks, cheering for the Razorbacks and everything. And obviously now it's a little bit different being a, someone who covers the Razorbacks, but uh, I feel like I understand the, the passion and uh, just everything, you know, what, what this program means to people in this state. And I, I treat that with respect. I try to do my best to do, uh, give them the, the, the top, you know, best Razorback coverage every single day. Uh, and because they deserve it, you know, it, it's not easy being a Razorback fan. I get that. Uh, so those of you who are listening right now, those who you know, use your hard-earned money to, to subscribe to hogbeat.com, I sincerely thank you and uh, do my best to try to make uh, it worth your time and money uh, to, to be listening or reading or whatever it is that you do. Uh, just know that I appreciate it and uh, that I will keep trying to 
to be the Sports Writer of the Year for 2021 and every year to come. Every year. That's right. It's going to be awesome. Um, if you are not a Hogbeat subscriber, you can join us with code H-A-W-G-S-30 anytime to get 30 days free. After that, yeah, you will have to give us some money to do our jobs, but we know that we make it worth it for you guys. You can hop on the trough anytime and ask us questions and we'll go track down the answers or, or make something up. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, but we have a, a really good time with all of our subscribers, um, and we, we get into a lot of stuff. I mean, today we have baseball content up on the board. You know, we're still a few weeks away from them even starting practice, so we're, we're keeping you guys ready for everything that's coming in Razorback sports. Back to basketball. Oh, man. Uh, we were just talking about how it is still, you know, a very long season. A lot of games still to play. Um, Arkansas faces Alabama. They are 5-0 and in the conference. A very impressive start for them so far. Arkansas's only wins are against Auburn and um, Georgia. Georgia so far, and those two teams both have four. SEC losses already so not the most impressive of wins as far as uh, the conference is shaking out um, but there has been a lot of um, ups and downs for teams just not for Alabama so far maybe Arkansas could make that happen on Saturday um, that game is at 2 30 p.m. on SEC Network so tune in with us we will be live chatting on the message board um and even when things are bad it's still fun when we're all doing it together am i right yes <laughs> um hutch a lot of people had comments from what happened last night obviously um but one one thing people were talking about is muscleman's um sideline bench whatever you call it demeanor um what what did you think? I would personally love to just have a, a a camera shot on him the whole time and like see him. That's that's the difference when you're um, watching it on TV versus in in the arena. You can actually see the coaches the whole time and see how they're reacting. Um, but uh, people got enough of a taste of of how he was responding last night to think, oh, I don't really like Mus when we're losing, <laughs> and it's understandable. But he is just a very passionate, fiery personality. When things are going bad, it is going to show. And I don't think that that's necessarily something that we have to like suddenly not like or, or, or really care about. It's just who he is. He is a very emotional guy. Uh, that, that's, as you said, that's just how he is. That's his personality. And, and it's that way when things are going good. I mean, he's you know, during timeouts uh, at Bud Walton Arena, if, if Arkansas is on a run or whatever, he doesn't even, like, go to the huddle. He walks out on the court and raises his arms to try to get the fans, you know, into it even more. I mean, he gets fired up. And, you know, there was a point during the uh, the Georgia game when Arkansas is up by, like, 25 at this point, just absolutely blowing Georgia out of the water. Uh, somebody made a, a stupid pass or, or did took a stupid shot. Maybe it was J.D. Note or something. And Musselman is just absolutely beside himself. He, he turns around, goes to the bench. He actually picks up a chair on the bench. A couple of, he only took it up a couple inches off the floor. 
and then slammed it back down. But for a moment there, I thought we were going to have a Bob Knight moment. And then remember, this is in a blowout win. I mean, it was very mm-hmm. Nick Saban-esque. Uh, you know, when, when Nick Saban's chewing out a player, an assistant coach, when they're up by 50 in the fourth quarter, uh, it, it reminded me of that. And that just kind of encapsulates his, his personality. And he, he doesn't do a necessarily a good job of controlling his emotions. And I think he, he recognizes that. And I mean, his wife recognizes that he told us after the, uh, the game where he had to miss because of COVID-19 protocols, uh, his wife told him like, Hey, keep it under control. You know, you don't, you've got, you know, you're not, you don't need to put 80 minutes of emotion into a 40 minute game. And uh, so it's something that people recognize, you know, his wife recognizes, fans recognize it. So I'm I'm not too necessarily concerned about that just because that's, that's Eric Musselman. If, If he's not getting fired up and upset and looking like he's pissed off, then that means he's given up on the team and you should probably stop watching. You have to think that now that we've seen a couple of really bad losses and how he reacts that maybe the guest house thing wasn't as much of a joke as we kind of took it as. Because if I was Danielle, I'd be like, well, go rage on in there because I don't want to hear it. I mean, it's perfectly believable. Um, the other thing is, do people complain when a guy like Nick Saban gets that upset? No, they don't because he wins national championships. I do think it's different if you aren't winning a lot, but Eric Musselman is still very much in the good graces of Razorback fans, unless you're just completely irrational, uh, which there are those people, but you know, Twitter look, was filled you can't with it do anything night. about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know. I'm not. I'm not concerned about that. He he is going to rub some players the wrong way. I do think there will be players that leave the program and don't necessarily absolutely love him. But the players that are able to separate, he was talking about how Devo Davis does this. How how they separate the tone from the message. If you can just take the message away from it and like realize that, yeah, he's gonna be crazy and emotional sometimes uh then you know that that's probably the best way that you can handle it because otherwise yeah you're gonna want to leave or go get coached by someone else but you're not probably going to get as good of coaching by someone who doesn't like fully care to get that upset you know exactly i mean it uh, it's coaches have said it in every sport through the end of time that you know if i'm not on you then that means I've given up on you. And so uh, it's a little bit harder in today's day and age. I think athletes, you know, not to, you know, sound like an old man yelling at a cloud, uh, but there are athletes who need a little bit of coddling and and things like that these days. And uh, if that's you, Eric Mussman may not be the best guy to coach you. And uh, luckily it sounds like most of the guys this year, I mean, could you imagine me and JD Note and some of the things that you've had yelled at you and said to you during games and practice and everything? Uh, but it doesn't seem like it's affected his confidence or mentality or anything. No one's hanging their head or pouting. I mean, even Connor Vanover, who you know gets yanked after three minutes against Georgia, is still over there on the sideline cheering his teammates on, clapping, good attitude. So 
uh, I think it's a testament to the guys that are here that they they can put up with that kind of emotional roller coaster that is Eric Musselman because he is at least seems to be a, a brilliant X's and O's guy. Yeah, and we tend to only focus on Muss because he is the head coach, but there are, you know, three other assistants who, while Eric Musselman's yelling at you, are going to pull you aside and perhaps, you know, treat you nice. So there's there's a balance on these staffs, and we don't hear much about the other assistants and how they act with the kids, but I have to imagine they are a little bit of, you know, sweet and sweet and sour action going on sometimes. Um, and then obviously there's a bunch of support staff who's a lot of their job is to make sure the players are happy and well-adjusted and, you know, not depressed and stuff like that uh, when, when things aren't going well. Um, we don't have like a call-in line or whatever. So I asked folks on Twitter this morning how they were feeling after this loss. So I'm just going to uh, react to some of these. Um, Mark Suey, that's a nice handle. I like that. He says, one game doesn't define a season. Although now that you have the Missouri game as well, I, I think that it, there's a little bit more concern. But Mark says, uh, in 2014, Arkansas was blown out at home to a mediocre Ole Miss team. That team went on to be a five seed. I think this team has a run in them. Do you remember that game, Hutch? Oh, so many of those games run together. <laughs> I need to look at the box score to see if any of it uh, you know, comes to mind. There were, there were, I will say, you know, Mike, during Mike Anderson's tenure, there were games where they would just lay an egg against a team that they absolutely shouldn't. But uh, they usually, for the most part, would bounce back and respond. And I think uh, it's still early in his tenure, but I think we've seen Arkansas – respond okay uh during during musclemen you know whenever they get blown out or things like that uh, they they do bounce back okay even if it doesn't always show up in the the win column um stone the teacher andrew stone says looks like a team that could beat anyone in the country and at the same time lose to anyone in the country and i have to say i agree with that one definitely <laughs> they're very hot and cold yeah. A big thing is like their offense can be very explosive and they can score in bursts and other nights they can do what they did yesterday. Um, hopefully when Justin Smith comes back, it's all a little bit more consistent. Um, Archimedes 1982 says young team that's super streaky will lose more games. will also win more games. I trust Musselman to do enough to get us into the tournament. Getting Smith back will be huge. Hopefully we aren't hit with any more injuries. Yeah, you got to – that injury bug needs to stay far, far away from this team at this point. Uh, Eric Musselman said maybe his karma is catching up to him because he didn't have many injuries at Nevada, if any, like very serious ones, and now they're all catching up to him. Um, as far as getting into the tournament, what do you, what do you think the threshold is? Yeah, I mean, they were they were kind of talking about this on the broadcast uh, on ESPN2 during the game, and uh, Jimmy Dykes seems to think that six, I think he said SEC teams, maybe seven, will get into the NCAA tournament. So I think really the key is is finishing in the top half of the conference. Uh, probably win more than you lose. Uh, so that would be, let's see what, it's 18 games, so 99, so 10 and 8 would, would put you over 500. Uh, that 
coupled with if you can beat Oklahoma State on the road, that would be a super quality win. I don't know if they can stop Cade Cunningham, but, you know, we'll talk about that whenever that game gets a little bit closer. Uh, but if you could win that game and finish over 500 in SEC play, that might be enough to get in. And I mean, at this point, I still think Arkansas is an NCAA tournament team. As I said earlier, it is too early to hit the panic button. Arkansas might have the most difficult opening stretch of SEC play in the conference because they're, at least entering this week, there were, I want to say, five teams in the SEC inside the top 30 of NET, of the net rankings. And one of those is Arkansas. The other four, Arkansas has played in the first six games of the year with three of them, Tennessee, LSU, and Alabama, being on the road. That is just brutal. And, yeah, you get Georgia, you get Auburn, two of the worst, you know, at least right now seems to be two of the worst teams on the, in the conference. Who knows what Auburn looks like with, you know, their new point guard being eligible the last couple of games. Uh, but that is a brutal, brutal schedule to open up conference play. So that means it's only going to get easier after we get through this uh, Alabama game on Saturday. A lot of people are commenting that it's just a young team. And while it is young, half of them, half of them are pretty young. The other half have played a lot of college basketball. So um, it's more, I think, of a, um, a matchup issue against certain teams and just, uh, uh, you know, I think that Musselman with his analytics, he puts his teams together knowing like what he needs to do to win. Right. But when something like Justin Smith injury happens like that totally throws a wrench into what you're trying to do. And then on top of that, trying to find out ways to, to work against um, teams that come at you in different ways and in different defensive sets as well. So um, it's just, a lot to figure out, I think, from a game-to-game basis for these coaches. And um, I think with all these, not young, but certainly all new guys, it takes a lot of work to figure out what's going to work on any given night. Yeah, I think you hit it right there, is that the the right word is not saying this team's a young team, because Jalen Tate, uh, Vance Jackson, Justin Smith, Desi Sills, those are older guys, but the key, the, the word is, is it's new. We've never seen these guys play together. And just when you think you've got things figured out, Justin Smith goes down. Just when you think you might get th- things figured out, you get K.K. Robinson go down. He, he wasn't playing a ton of minutes, but he seemed to be like Jalen uh, Williams and like uh, Devo Davis seemed to be coming on and, and you lose him and then you're like well crap I gotta readjust again so uh, yeah it, it, it's tough it's it seems like it's a new team and we're let's see what uh, four three or four games into the post Justin Smith injury era four games I think uh, so it they're still they're still getting things figured out and you mentioned earlier there is a ton of basketball left it's an 18 game SEC schedule so you got uh, 15 of the or 13 of those games left plus the SEC Big 12 challenge with Oklahoma State so lots of time left to get things figured out and uh, Justin Smith will return at some point so keep that in mind as well. Freak Razorback says I stopped watching Arkansas basketball the day they fired Nolan so 
in our face. He doesn't well, know what's going on. <laughs> um, I mean, he hasn't missed a whole lot. <laughs> um, Pat O'Brien at the Radical Mod said, on a macro level, our program hasn't had a go-to post player since Big Nasty. When the other team is on a run, you need someone that can get points in the paint or get fouls. That stops the momentum. Jacking threes will always be streaky. I mean, when you don't have three shooters as consistent as guys like Isaiah Joe and Mason Jones, yeah, you're right. You need I, – I agree. They need a stronger post presence. And I hope Jalen Williams can, mean, can develop more of his offensive game and, and just be more aggressive. I mean, let's also not forget that Bobby Portis was the SEC player of the year when he was here. Uh, right. Like five years ago. So, I mean, let's, <laughs> let's remember Bobby real quick. Give him some love. He Gafford maybe wasn't, wasn't as either. dominant. Yeah, he wasn't bad, but I, I also can see how people would say he's not a true post guy. He wasn't a guy that would go down in the post and post up or whatever. Bobby did more of that, uh, and, and he wasn't a Corliss, but very few people are. So, uh, But, yeah, I, I think Jalen Williams could be more of that inside presence that people are wanting. Uh, more so than, you know, obviously Connor Vanover. He's he's seven three, but he's not your traditional post guy. This is what we've tried telling people before the season. People got so excited based on what he looked like in non-conference play. And I think we're seeing a little bit of regression to what most people uh, expected that, that were kind of had an educated opinion. Uh, and then, you know, Vance Jackson, he's six nine, but again, he is a guy that's a shooter. He is a really good three-point shooter when he's on. Uh, and so he can do some things, you know, get rebounds, things like that, because he is six foot nine, but he's not going to go post up. Uh, I'm trying to think who else. You know, Justin Smith can do some of that uh, and was did a lot of it before he got hurt. But, again, you got to find somebody who can do that, you know, in his absence. I can see that a lot of people are very, very passionate about this team, which is a good thing. A lot of people have – a lot of different observations, which is awesome. So um, I encourage you guys to come on hogbeat.com and share those. Um, looking ahead to the next sport on the docket, we just keep moving, just constantly churning out Razorback sports. Uh, the baseball team is almost back to the practice field. Um, you saw that they updated their roster. What, what were your main takeaways from that? Well, the first thing that jumps out at you is there's 46 dudes on the roster, and that is a lot of players uh, for baseball. Uh, usually, I mean, I, I don't know what the – maybe around 40, uh, but the thing is is that in baseball there's a 35-man limit. And so once the season starts, only 35 players can practice with the team, can go to team meetings and things like that. The other guys that are on the ro listed on the roster uh, have to go – do you know workouts and, and and things like that you know on their own away from the team uh so this year though the 35 man limit is gone thanks to uh some covid uh rules and so all 46 dudes will be eligible to play for the razorbacks this season and that is a ton of players uh you've got 30 of them are being our are, are pitchers you've got 22 righties eight lefties and the other guys are position players. Uh, so a lot of, lot of players, a lot of talent. Still not 100% sure how it's going to shake out as far as the lineup and the rotation and things like that. But one thing is for certain is uh, Dave Van Horn has lots of options. 
Yeah, when you have that much talent, it must be tough in baseball because players can be, I mean, for the most part, they're consistent defensively, but like at, at the bat, like they can be inconsistent. So how tough is it going to be to put together starting lineups when you have that, that many players, or do you just kind of, you know, stick to your guns and, and be confident that, you know, the guy matches his ability. And if he has a bad game, you know, you just worry about it in a, in a few weeks. Yeah. I mean, it, it, you're going to see Dave Van Horn have to weigh, okay, do I want to have a defensive lineup or do I want to have a lineup that can just hit the ball over the park? Uh, you've got guys like, you know, Jalen Battles. I think he's probably going to be the starting shortstop for Arkansas. He is an incredible defensive talent. Uh, he, I was told by his uh, summer ball coach, who is a former Major League Baseball manager, I believe for the Phillies, and told me that he has a major league glove right now. He is capable of playing shortstop in the big leagues. However, the bat still has a lot of work. And I think he made some strides offensively based on what Dave Van Horn said. Uh, but, you know, what do you want to do there? Or Dave Van Horn could move Robert Moore from second base to shortstop. He is a capable defender there and, and is really good with the bat and put somebody in at second base who's better with the bat than a Jalen Battles. Uh, you've got that kind of options at first and third and in the outfield, and it's going to come down to what Dave Van Horn values in a particular series uh, or in a particular game. Uh, you could see defensive replacements late in games. So lots of lots of flexibility for Dave Van Horn that he's going to have to to really figure out, you know, during that three-week practice window that's set to start on January 29th. A lot of people don't follow Razorback baseball as in-depth as, you know, our subscribers. So um, who are the big names back for this team? And was there anyone that Arkansas lost because of, you know, this big numbers crunch that could have made a, a big impact that you think, you know, shouldn't have gone? Yeah, I mean, they, they did lose as far as, you know, from the fall. They lost three of their twenty nine or 2020 signees, guys that were going to be freshmen this year. Uh, probably the, the biggest one is Michael Brooks. He was a top 150 player, uh, according to Perfect Game. Uh, he transferred back closer to home. He's from Florida, transferred back to UCF. Uh, they also lost a couple other guys. Uh, Jackson Cobb transferred to Texas Tech. Uh, Clayton Gray is an in-state kid. He's going the JUCO route, going to Crowder. Uh, and the, the, the other guys left, you know, the, maybe the biggest guy that would have been a contributor from last year's team but left after the season were Dominic Thomas, a catcher, and uh, Curtis Washington, a, a fan favorite. I just don't know if he was going to be able to crack in the starting lineup. He probably would have been a, a good utility guy that could, could play a lot. Uh, so, so some, some guys left, but really a lot of guys are back. You know, you have to replace Heston Kerstad. You have to replace Casey Martin. Uh, but you did get the bonus of getting Casey Opitz back at catcher. Uh, you've got Christian Franklin. He's probably going to be pre, – he's preseason All-American in some uh, outlets. Uh, probably going to be preseason All-SEC. Uh, he's a legitimate pro prospect out in center field. Great defensively has really come on strong, was, was hitting the ball really well when the season ended. 
in 2020. And, and so I think if he can keep that going, we're going to see him become a, a really high draft pick this summer. Uh, those are probably the biggest names right there. Maybe a newcomer or two to know would probably be Brady Slavens. Uh, he's a Juco transfer can really, really hit the ball a ton of power. It's going to come down to where, where does he play defensively? You know, can he DH, uh, you know, is Matt Goodhart going to be able to play first base or is he going to have to DH? So those are kind of going back to some of those kind of defensive, offensive uh, questions Van Horn's going to have to answer. And then also among the freshmen, Caden Wallace, in my opinion, is capable of having a freshman season like Heston Kerstad and Casey Martin had back in 2018. The kid can flat out play. He's from Greenbrier, so he's an Arkansas kid. Loves the Razorbacks and is just – he probably could have been a top two or three round draft pick uh, if he didn't have such a high asking price as far as a signing bonus goes for this uh, coming out of high school. But he decided he wanted to come play for Arkansas. And I think Arkansas fans should enjoy him while they have him because this kid is going to, to be here for – I think he has to be here three years. I don't think his birthday falls where he would be a two-year guy. But as, as soon as he's eligible to go pro, I think he's going to go pro and make a lot of money uh, in the professional ranks. Hutch, you had a nice piece on uh, the Razorbacks kind of putting a bow on the season. We had basically – delved into every aspect of the team after the season that we could. Um, but one more, uh, just looking at really how much this team improved in some um, non-traditional ways. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone knows that Arkansas was better this year. I mean, one, they, they won some SEC games. So that, that right there tells you they're better. And, you know, they were seven total points away from winning three other games. They were very, very close to, you know, going six and four. Uh, so you don't really necessarily need this to know that they're improved. But, however, uh, now that the national championship game is over, the college football season uh, for 2020 is officially done. Uh, we saw some final rankings for the 2020 season. Uh, I know everyone loves talking about the football power index, but uh, they uh, – improved they, they ended last year in the 2019 season at number 91 in the country out of 130 FBS teams not very good uh, this year they were all the way up to 56th so they moved up uh, quite a bit uh, in 35 spots and that uh, if you look at only programs that had first year head coaches the only the only program that had a bigger jump was Rutgers and I mean they were worse than Arkansas and uh, under Greg Schiano made some uh, tremendous strides as well. So you see that impact right there. And the FPI really just looks at numbers and generates this ranking and everything. So people sometimes don't like it. Sometimes people don't like computers and numbers and everything, uh, but they uh, improve dramatically in those areas. Uh, and then of course, if you prefer the more subjective rankings, the, the eye, eye test, you know, someone actually, a human coming up with rankings. You know, most polls only do the top 25, you know, the AP poll, the coaches poll, things like that. Uh, but the athletic, Chris Vanini uh, for them does a fantastic job. Every week he does a ranking of every team in college football. Uh, usually that's a 130 teams. This I bet year he there were only 127. It. I bet he hates doing that stuff. <laughs> He's like, oh, oh man, I got to do the 127 it. again. <laughs> now, the good news is, too, is that 
he does a good job of actually really keeping up with like, you know, teams in the Sun Belt and Conference USA. I don't like he doubt knew, he does. He's you know, awesome. Yeah, he is he does fantastic work. So I feel like he of all people is really qualified to do such a thing. It probably is a chore to to crank it out every week. Uh but his final rankings dropped the other day and Arkansas uh was number seventy in that ranking. So not near as high, but more middle of the pack, and that is up 41 spots from where they were. They were number 111 in last year's rankings, which I think is probably more accurate than the number 91 ranking in the FPI because they were just so, so bad under Chad Morris. And uh, to see them move up uh, 41 spots is is pretty incredible. And, and you got to remember, too, they didn't get one final chance against TCU to, to really improve that ranking. TCU was ranked higher than that. I don't know what their final ranking was, but they were higher. So if you had beaten TCU, who knows? Arkansas maybe could have had a 50-spot jump or whatever. I still can't that believe that game didn't happen. It's so infuriating yeah, to think about. Such a bummer that, that we didn't get to see one last look and give fans maybe a, a, a better ending to the season from the, the four-game losing streak. I mean, no one wants to end the year on a 52-3 to blowout to Alabama. I also see shout out Jeff, Jeff Trailer, former Arkansas assistant. His team, according to Vanini, made the, the biggest jump out of everyone. So I guess that's a, a good reflection on Arkansas that they had a really good assistant that maybe could have been a head coach. And Barry Lane, of Chad the Morris. offensive coordinator. So. Yeah, and yeah, I, I don't know much about their offense, but I imagine if they made that big of a jump, then Barry Lunny did a pretty good job. Good for him. He's a good guy. Um, two pieces of news from the transfer portal for the Razorbacks this week. Uh, Micah Smith, redshirt senior, opted to uh, enter his name into the transfer portal. And then Dion Edwards, senior linebacker, he took his name back out and decided he was going to stay at Arkansas just three days after entering his name. Um, both seem like perfectly normal moves to me. Micah Smith wasn't playing very much. Um, his usage did increase a bit, but then he had um, a surgery uh, in November that, you know, sidelined him for the season um, for good, even though he already wasn't playing. So I'm sure he's off to find some playing time maybe at a lower level school or, or, you know, maybe he'll find a D one spot and get eligible and, and play next season. But um, also Dion Edwards, he was the number two on the depth chart last year behind bumper pool. So you get that guy back in case you need him in case for some reason, they still don't have, you know, a solid linebacker group. Uh, I, I hope maybe a guy like Christopher Paul, the new signee, can come in. He's a big guy. Maybe maybe he can step in there already and, and be the number two. But anyways, it's good when someone on your two deep decides to stay, I think, just because, especially at that position, um, their depth isn't great. Yeah, for depth purposes, it's a, it's a good addition or a good guy to bring retention. back. Uh, yeah, retention. I don't think he's going to play a ton uh, I think if you're Arkansas you don't hope he does because as you said you know maybe Paul comes in and can contribute you know maybe Keelan Burrell uh, you know come, after not really getting to play much as a true freshman maybe he gets to to play a lot you know someone like that someone that's young 
uh, can maybe get those snaps. And, uh, you know, and especially a position like linebacker, yeah, unless there's an injury, you're probably going to have Grant Morgan or Bumper Pool out there. You know, maybe Levi Draper gets healthy and is able to contribute some in that rotation. But really not too many linebackers get a ton of snaps. You know, maybe you get a guy that gets 100 snaps throughout the season uh, in kind of a backup role. I would like to see a younger guy get those snaps, uh, get the experience and, and try to, you know, set yourself up for the future rather than a guy like Deion Edwards who is probably you know, or definitely going to be gone after next year. Uh, so I think more than anything, he's going to be a guy that, that contributes on special teams. I don't think you can overlook that. He has played a lot on special teams. Uh, you need guys like that on the team to, to make things work. So still a good, a good guy to, to keep around. The Razorback coaches were back in the office this week, and that means they were sending out just a ton of new offers. Uh, they offered like five new defensive tackles, a few 2023 prospects, a, a couple new offensive linemen in the 2022 class one whom I caught up with, um, Armand Membu from um, the Kansas City area. Um, so... I like that they're going up to Missouri and looking for talent. Membu is a guy who's only started on varsity for one season, so they feel like they've, you know, found a guy that's pretty raw and physical that they could mold, um, but he's already also got a Missouri offer. So uh, we'll see what happens with that, but they also offered a younger teammate of his, uh, Caden Green. Um, they also offered a new 2022 quarterback, um, this week, Nico Marchiol from Arizona. I believe he's originally from um, Colorado and just moved this year, but he put out a pretty impressive top eight already before Arkansas offered. I believe he listed Florida State, Florida, TCU, Ole Miss, LSU, USC, Arizona State, and Michigan. So a big list, but he did say his recruitment was 100% open. So shoot your shot, Kendall Bryles. Um, the, the quarterback list that they've got going, there are several quarterbacks that do seem like they're very interested, but the guys at the very top of the list are some of the best quarterbacks in Texas, and you know how that usually goes. And you usually have to wait it out and see where, where things shake out and see where they go before you can start making moves on other guys that you offer. So uh, Mark Yule's a four-star. I think they were just kind of throwing their name into the ring. They're not sure how much movement they'll have um, on that one, but um, it kind of gives you an idea of how they feel about their options so far. I think that was quarterback offer number 14, which is a pretty big group for them, and they're spread out um, in a bunch of different states. Um, none of them have visited yet <laughs> because almost no 2022 prospects have visited Arkansas except the in-staters, um, and um, hopefully I'll get to update you guys on them next week. We are out of time. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Hogbeat Hour Get 30 days free with code um, H-A-W-G-S-30 on hogbeat.com. And uh, stay up to date on the Razorbacks with me and Hutch, the Arkansas Sports Writer of the Year. <laughs> Have a good weekend, everybody.